0: Welcome to the hunt back podcast today. This is episode number 288 and our topic is all about solo elk. So this is a conversation that keeps coming back from you guys, the listeners, wanting to know more about how to hunt elk solo, how to pack out elk solo, and anything to do with that topic of being all alone and getting it done in the elk mountains. So whether you hunt solo by choice, cause that's what you prefer or out of necessity because you can't find a hunting partner, this show will help you out. Or maybe you haven't hunted elk on your own yet, but you're considering it for the future, you'll no doubt learn from this episode. Our guests are Tyler Bashma and Nathan Jones, who are two experienced do-it-yourself solo elk hunters, and we talk about hunt planning, hunt strategy, tactics such as calling, and get into the nitty-gritty of what to do when you fill an elk tag and you're all by yourself in the backcountry. As always, guys, we appreciate you tuning in as well as your feedback. If you haven't yet, hit that subscribe or follow button in your podcast app to receive future episodes automatically. And if you have any questions, comments, or feedback for us, just send an email to podcast at exomountaingear.com. All right, let's get right into this conversation and figure out how to hunt elk when you're all by yourself. Well, fellas, welcome to the Hunt Backcountry podcast today. I am uh, excited to have you both on. We've had you on Tyler and Nathan in separate episodes, but never together. But I guess like, like a good starting point just to kind of give context is you two go back uh, professionally and then from hunting and things like that. So Tyler, tell us the story of how you you met Nathan? And honestly, even going back to the first podcast we had Nathan on, Tyler, you you suggested that we did that. So I'll let you kind of just give a little bit of backstory there.
1: Um, so I think we were kind of separated at birth. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I moved to Oregon, and uh, I'd heard of this guy Larry Jones um, my whole life, and uh, lo and behold, I moved to Oregon to take a job at a at a dam and. There's this guy there that he really likes to Elk Hunt. We're about the same age. And lo and behold, he's uh he's Larry D. Jones's nephew. And I guess uh you know, from right away I guess he got some some street cred, if you want to call it that. And we uh yeah, since then we we basically both just didn't stop talking about hunting at work and we never did hunt together, which was well we had bear hunting, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, we had bear hunting. I
2: don't know if that counts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: But, uh, yeah, anyway, we just, yeah, from there, we, we every year we just compare notes and bring bring our elk and deer and stuff into work and constantly bounce ideas off each other. So, I, uh, in that time, I probably, I would say if, like, if there was ever any time as an elk hunter, like, I grew uh, leaps and bounds while I was in Oregon, I think part of that has to do with, you know, working with Nate and getting a lot of info from him and ideas and just whatever, you know, just in our conversations, you, you don't, it's hard to quantify, I guess, when someone tells you something and you just listen and, and you don't really absorb everything, but when you actually get to put it in practice and uh, come back and go, oh, that's what he was talking about. And, and that's what I got from Nate is, a lot of those little things that, you know, you might tell a person and they just kind of gloss over as able to, you know, maybe rehash later in life or whatever, after a hunting season and, and kind of, uh, and learn from. So anyway, yeah, my time in Oregon, I I grew leaps and browns as a elk hunter and, um, yeah, probably a lot of that's to the old Nate here.
2: <laughs> I don't know about that. Uh, Tyler's Tyler's a pretty sharp guys. Um, he's giving me lots of compliments, but he's really, a established hunter. Um, and he picks up things really, really fast. And yeah, we, we, we worked together. I don't know. I don't really remember when Tyler started at the plant, but, um, we we're like you said about the same age and, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, we just, we, we probably annoyed a lot of the older guys. Cause all we talked about was hunting and I mean, we took work serious and we're professional or whatever but um the conversations always turn to to hunting that's for sure and um Tyler was giving me lots of compliments on my elk hunting um but that he's <laughs> I, I I don't know there's there's very few people I've met that are in good shape is Tyler so we both kind of had our own really good shape a lot of a lot of good experience um hunting in the backcountry and stuff so I think we both had maybe our little strengths but um we definitely learned learned from each other
0: yeah that's cool i'm curious for you nate coming from a hunting family uh even a pedigree of sorts like what got you started solo hunting did you do that at home in oregon did you start solo hunting on out-of-state trips like how did that begin for you
2: well um you know p- people reference my my uncle a lot and um he is a mentor of mine but we we never really hunted together um much growing up my uh you know my dad pretty typical blue collar guy right like so he my it did come from hunting family but like our the extent of our hunts was you know a week off for elk archery elk and a week off for rifle deer and and that was just kind of it um and with that came pretty big camps. I would say like when I say big, not like luxurious or anything, but um, just a lot of people, you know, a lot of, a lot of family and stuff like that, which, so I I mean, at a very young age, I, I I enjoyed that. I appreciated that, did that, but it didn't take long for me to realize that there was a, It was kind of the the success rates were low and, and a lot of it was, you know, you were just spending a lot of time going with people and walking three guys. And it's just, you know, the way, the way we hunted back then was just so much different. And so at a young age, and when I say young, I'm like 15, 16 years old, like uh, something, something's got to change a little bit. And, um, so I think naturally I just kind of started branching out and, uh, then the larger camps kind of just became just my dad and I and then just even smaller yet to just myself so that and that was kind of the natural progression and it didn't take long to see um you, you know you the results spoke for themselves when there was just less less things less noise less sense less opinions less you know it just you could kind of focus um and, and, in and, 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 like I said, you saw the results. So that's, I guess, kind of how it got, it got, got my start, but, um, but I would say mostly in state and I didn't start hunting out of state until probably my early twenties. And I'm in my mid, well, I'm 37 now. So I guess late thirties, but so early twenties to now has been a lot more out of state. And with that comes solo, um, uh, Tyler's probably more yet of a solo hunter than myself. Um, I, I do enjoy going with people. I, my dad's kind of my hunting buddy. So he tags along and he'll kind of stay back at camp or kind of do his thing. And he's 73. So our pace is a little bit different, but you know, as far as like hunting out in the woods and, you know, in bike camps and that sort of thing, that's largely by myself, but, um, yeah, anyway.
0: Yeah, that's cool. Tyler, for you, because you continue to hunt on your own, and obviously I know you enjoy hunting with others. For elk specifically, like just keeping this context, because that's what we're going to get to is really elk-specific stuff on strategies and things like that. But when it comes to elk for you, how do you view opportunities to hunt with someone or hunt alone and make those decisions is it truly just like yeah the schedules line up let's go together you know with a buddy or with steve or what have you or do you kind of like purposely or at least have in years past like carve out your own time to intentionally go solo for any specific reason
1: um dude i'm i'm all over the map really with that but i guess the one place i lean to is i i definitely like my time, like I, I kind of am selfish, was, you know, when I have a tag in my pocket and I just maybe want it to be my way, like, and like Nate said, I, and it's, it's, it's just one of those things like I have my pace and sometimes it's not a fast pace. Like sometimes that, um, you know, I might kind of just take things a little bit easier and it's just a lot easier when you don't have someone else there as far as that goes to kind of, you're always like, it just, unless you're really in tune with somebody it's hard to be like all right this is the pace that i feel like we should be at and the other person they just automatically know to do that so i guess when it's my hunt um i probably lean towards just going out on my own i definitely have had fun especially more recently like the hunt i did with you and steve this last year like i love just coming and helping like Um, the first bull I called in for self was actually for Steve. And man, I just had so much fun with that. That I guess it's hard for me to say. I just, I guess in that regard, I want to share it by like, you know, letting them or helping them fill a tag or, you know, whatever that means. Um, but yeah, when it comes time for my own stuff, I kind of like to just do my own thing. And yeah.
2: Well, it's so also not to, not to interrupt, but, um, one thing is like when Tyler and I work together, right. We're you only have so many guys on the crew. So it's pretty critical to kind of cycle your time to where you're not putting other guys in the bind or anything like that. So, um, you know, not to hijack what Tyler's saying, but there's some of it is just leave. And, you know, we're not the type of guys that are just going for a week, you know, once, once every other year, it's, you know, there's four or five weeks on the books so i mean realistically just in that in that sense right there you don't have that many people or that that i know personally that are that um you know either have the means or the the time off or just the family life to be able to do something like that so sometimes just by design like one a having your own time like tyler said really hits home but on the other side of that coin it's some of it logistically is just you know you only have so many weeks and you just kind of got to fit your time in when the opening's available. And sometimes that might be Wednesday to Monday, you know, like kind of weird timeline. So some of it's by design too.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's, um, this podcast really came about just because this topic keeps coming up. We keep getting questions about it, um, and all different aspects of hunting solo and hunting elk solo and everything from, calling setups to breaking down elk solo to packing out elk solo, which we'll get to. Um, but one thing I've seen is there's like some of these guys asking these questions are probably kind of going back to what you said, Nathan, like they've hunted elk, but they're not too satisfied with like the results or what they have been doing or who they're hunting with. And so they're thinking about venturing off solo so they have some backcountry experience they have some elk hunting experience but like to them like this going solo for elks next level and they're they're trying to figure that out and then we also have guys who they're new to the backcountry they're new to elk hunting period like maybe they're a guy who's from the midwest or out east who wants to go west and they just can't find someone to go with right so for them it's not only i'm hunting elk solo it's I'm hunting elk for the first time I'm going on an out-of-state hunt for the first time maybe, or I'm living in the back country for five days for the first time. And they're doing all that solo at once. So like before we get into r- real practical strategies and stuff, I just kind of want to talk about, you know, some of the struggles of hunting solo and kind of maybe, you know, for guys who are new to solo hunting, like help them anticipate some of the challenges of it. Right. So Um, you know, things that come to mind for sure is just mindset. Like until you've spent days in the mountains truly by yourself, you don't, you don't know what that's like. And so, uh, one of the very specific questions that came through is what are some tips for keeping your mind occupied when solo hunting? And I know that for both of you, you have experience now, but if you think back to some of your earlier solo hunts or just multi-day uh, trips period, like what are some of those things for you kind of from a mindset perspective that you both struggled with and then learned to deal with in terms of just the mindset of solo hunting? Does anything come to mind for you, Tyler?
1: I'm trying to think just, yeah, like staying in it and having my head in it. I kind of go back to New Mexico and just like there, I just gave myself a lot of little tasks. Like water was extremely difficult to procure so like we, i had like a you know whatever i would try to you know get in front of the elk when they were coming off water in the morning and then i just i had like a regimented plan like try to really stick to as far as keep myself busy there because it wasn't just about there was a little bit easier to do that because i could spend half a day getting to water or finding water so I, I you know i always had that as like my priority that's my mission we're like in alaska you know, I always have water everywhere I went. And, uh, and granted this is going not towards elk hunting, but just backcountry hand in general. Um, I would say, uh, just try to repeat some phrase in my head. I, I know I, and Nate's said this before too, is just keep grinding. Like, I, it sounds simple and stupid, but like, I'll be like down in the dumps who've just blown out milk somewhere. And it's like, you know, those thoughts creeping in the back of your head about, quitting and calling her and uh i can just say that one phrase and it's like well okay next bridge i don't know what's there and i don't know you know whatever's there for me but i got to keep moving and keep doing something so i think to answer your question just staying in something keep myself active like as soon as i get to that like i'm stuck in a tent and i'm depressed then yeah your thoughts are a lot harder to control so i guess yeah just staying moving and, and in that regard
2: yeah how about for you nathan That's a good point. Um, you know, I think now as, as I'm a little bit more matured in my, you know, um, you know, hunting, um, mindset or whatever, I, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is it's such a huge investment, um, to go on these hunts, not only financially, but just the burdens that you put on your family. Right. Um, and, and you would, i think tyler and i both and you you as well mark's like you you spend a big part of the year really investing in your family so you kind of have a little less guilt on going but it's it's still there so i mean honestly that helps me a lot it's like i owe it to my family to maximize this you know this experience It's such a blessing to be able to be out there it's it's such a like a short window uh it's just a magical time and so just really focusing on that as it's, I mean, it sounds kind of corny or silly, but like, just, just maximizing every single moment out there. It really helps me kind of like put it in perspective. Maybe if I have a bad attitude or whatever, you know, and that's kind of like bigger level stuff. I mean, it's a simple, simplistic things What Tyler said about making chores for yourself and water and, you know, bathing or, you know, what, whatever it is. Um, that that's really that's a really good point. Um, and then it's, it can even be simpler yet, like putting a book in your pack for the long middle of the days, right? Like, and I think that's where I feel the the um the kind of the day drag on or the, the trip drag on is usually the middle of the day. Um, you know, if I have a bull bedded down or you know something like that, um, or I can stop, pull out a book, read a little bit. Um, and that really seems to help. Cause it seems like the, you know, the, the nights are short, you know, you hunt all the way up till dark then you got to try to get your food in you and whatever, and set up camp. And then you're up at four thirty or whatever. So you don't get a whole lot of time. Um, so just those little things for in the middle of the day, Tyler's right. That, 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 uh, that helps a lot. Cool.
0: Man, a lot of good stuff in there from both. Of you. Um, on a super practical level, what, because you guys both have families and things like that, especially when you're traveling for even out of state hunts, when you're solo, what extra like precautions do you take for safety and communication? So uh, I'm assuming something like an in reach to stay in touch, but also things that I think some guys would maybe overlook is really just having like pre communicating plans of like, okay, here's where I'm going, here's where I'm parking you know, here's plan B, right. If I do move, um, you know, leaving that with the family, maybe giving them timelines. And like something I always do is just give them like worst case timelines. Like if I know I'm going to come out on Sunday, I'll be like, oh yeah, I'll be up by like Tuesday, you know, (laughs) just just, like give myself that margin. Um, But anything that kind of comes in uh, in mind for that stuff, kind of like safety, communications, staying in touch with the family, you know, reassuring, like one of the questions that just flat out came up is how do I talk my wife into letting me hunt solo? Right. So um, what does that look like for you guys? Uh,
2: That's funny. I honestly, I don't know if that question or that conversations ever came up. If I had to convince my wife about uh, going solo, maybe I'm fortunate. Maybe she just has a good life insurance policy on there. (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, I think I, one thing, and it wasn't really safety oriented, and uh, tated really was the in reach I, I can't remember what year i got it 2017 2018 and uh the year before we had a house sale fall through and i remember it like we had movers lined up and just a couple things and it was really stressful for my wife and um she just needed a, a you know a couple like reassuring words or just a decision to be made or something and that that in was a big kind of check mark for that box um, it, and it does have so it's kind of funny right it's, it, it's for safety and it, and it does provide a level of reassurance I suppose um, but the uh, but just being able to check in with her maybe once every couple of days or whatever that that that's just been, been a good peace of mind I think for both parties. As far as safety goes, um, I don't know. I, I think I, I usually give a, like the nearest town, I'll maybe kind of write that down or something like that, but I don't get too involved with maybe like a safety plan or anything like that. And then partially it's cause I move around so much or, or the potentials there to move around, you know, and, um, so I, I guess I don't ever want to, you know, maybe, maybe a starting point, but other than that, I, with that in-reach, I don't don't really seem to go into too much detail, um, as far as that, that part of it goes. The other nice thing about the in-reach, and again, going back to, you know, kind of taking your time, your mind off things in the middle of the day or whatever, Tyler and I are always goofing around on those things, or kind of giving each other updates on our, on our hunts, on the in-reach, so it can kind of be a fun, um, fun way to kind of break up the, break up the hunt a little bit too i don't
1: know if tyler tyler agrees or not no no it definitely uh it is cool staying on the other side or, or being the one sending the messages and um yeah we could go into a whole story about <laughs> me and reaching you in the middle of flinging arrows <laughs> in the middle of it <laughs> um yeah. right here, I, I think so this actually is good like leading into i uh, I don't know what having these in reaches and and how nice they are, you know, safety standpoint, I think it's pretty easy to sell that. But in the other regard, like I lean on Nate a lot for like just moral support, I guess you could say, or like ideas. Like, I don't know what it was, but, so this was anyway, 2018, I think the bull I killed then I remember messaging him like, dude, I'm freaking, I saw this bull go into this timber Uh, you know, I can't get him to say a single word and uh i'm just like this is you stupid. dropped me like, a
2: pin or something didn't you didn't you yeah, just send me like a yeah, I that's right. location the... i was like
1: where is this freaking bull and like what would you do basically oh that's and right. you're just like funny. oh he's in there he's in there 100 percent. you see him go in there he's in there you know keep calling and it was like literally within two and a half minutes i went back and looked at when i sent that message and from when i killed that bull and it was two and a half minutes and I just had to laugh. So, like, I was yeah, that's two and a half funny. minutes away from quitting, basically. Like, I was, you know, ready to just be like, ah, oh, he's not in this timber and bailing. And then you just, that little sentence of, dude, stay in it. He's in there. Keep calling. And it was like two more bugles as I was kind of going to that timber. And he just freaking ripped off. And it was craziness from there for the next two and a half I, minutes. I
2: remember we, Tyler still worked uh, at the powerhouse that I, we worked together at that point, and And uh, anyway, he was text. Texted me and we were going back and forth so i was at work so i wasn't hunting and he tyler was out hunting i was at work and i'm pretty sure i had the the whole crew in on that that whole giving them updates and stuff and uh <laughs> tyler ended up killing that bull it was one a really nice elk good good story
1: yeah that's funny so yeah it can be more than safety <laughs> yeah that's a yeah. super solid yeah. yeah i lean on those things a lot like i don't and it's probably bad, but I don't have any kind of plan with my wife. Like I might give her a general idea. Like I'm going to be, you know, wherever this part of the state, but yeah, I mean like Nate, you know, you just move so much It, you know, I can move from one side of a unit to the other and you know, that's a three or four hour commitment. So yeah, it's just hard to do. Technology helps so much these days.
2: I'm glad you said that Tyler, because I, I kind of was like embellished a little bit because I felt like I was being irresponsible, but i don't I don't do much with my wife, like literally just the nearest <laughs> town, and it's like, all right, well, well there you go,
0: yeah, <laughs> that's funny. My wife usually knows like I'm either in Colorado or Idaho or something, yeah like that's it, you know <laughs> how do you feel, Tyler? uh has anything changed in your mind with the move to Montana and you hunting grizzly country? Does that change your outlook perspective on solo hunting
1: jury's still out I I don't know I get in my head sometimes I think more than anything I um I did spend some time in the the densest grizzly populated place in the state and I don't know I I guess it just I still do it and I I still will there's just maybe a little bit like I don't want to be complacent I don't want to get to that point where I'm like yeah whatever you know there's three grizzly bear tacks a year and I'm not going to be one of them because, you know, statistically we're like the ones that are pushing that boundary of doing all the things that you really, you know, shouldn't say you shouldn't do in bear country, but it's just inherently we're going to be quiet. We're going to do things that put us at risk a little bit more. We're traveling at dusk and at dawn, you know, we're doing all those things where you hear the, you know, guys getting chewed on it's right at those times or, you know, more than likely and just anyway. So I don't know. I, I try to be more prepared. I do, you know, I've carried a pistol now and, um, you know, I didn't before like New Mexico, Idaho. I just, it wasn't a thing, but now I definitely do. And I, you know, not only carry it, but I train with it and I, you know, so maybe, you know, from the military I, I'm a huge advocate of is like, don't just have this thing on your hip or in your chest and not know how to, you know, <laughs> make it operate correctly and <laughs> accurately.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: So I guess I just, yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a struggle. I'm not gonna lie. I still don't know if I have an answer for you as far as, um, yeah. Hunting in bear country is awesome. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. I don't know. It is what it is. You just go on with, go on with things, I guess. So,
0: like transitioning to strategy stuff, um, you know, you think of elk hunting, you can think of many different flavors of that, right? So you got guys who just call and locate a ton. You got guys who are much more spot and stock. You got guys who like to kind of stay caught quiet and sneak in. And obviously that depends on where you're hunting terrain, hunting pressure, what have you. But if you guys could like kind of classify or talk about maybe what's your style specifically when hunting solo and maybe how that's evolved or or why that's your style. Like from a super high level, what's what's your approach to hunting elk when solo, Nate? Um,
2: when solo. Honestly, Mark, I don't know I don't know if I could really say if I have a specific style or not. I mean So I would and, say and, from the
1: outside hate to interrupt you but I, I knew like from the outside looking at how nate does stuff you know at least from, we talk afterwards like he is probably this is where i you know kind of was lead to the beginning of the podcast where i you know picked up a lot of stuff from him he's really good at seeing the situation and adapting to it and that's where you know from my time in new mexico where i just like call 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 you know get within them whatever call 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 like nate will you know, at least from our conversation and stuff, and and this might lead you into some specific thoughts, but he definitely does a good job of, you know, this bull's doing this. This is what I think, you know, I should do and then doing it. And then, you know, in the middle of it, if you need to or whatever, change the plan and go for that. But not being so rat hold into one specific thing, not just jumping on a ridge or, you know, you know, calling his brains off or just spotting stock. Like, I feel like there, if there was a hybrid, he definitely falls in that um, category, not saying he doesn't do one or the other really well, but, um, I think you adapt per the situation really well. And
2: yeah. Uh, yeah. And that, that's a good point, Tyler. And I, and that's kind of what I was going to lead into saying. And I think Tyler and I, we, we've been friends long enough that he, he mirrors pretty much everything he just said about me. So, um, I, and, and t- Tyler jump in if I'm, um, if you agree or disagree, but I think like my, my personal style growing up in um you know the pacific northwest the west side of oregon i mean that's a very brushy state so um you know that i think i'm going to i i've i've adapted over the years to utilize um calls and and i'm not i'm not a um a good caller by any means but i think and i don't think you have to be a good caller so for anybody listening, like elk, elk calling, I mean that's how they communicate. But you don't, by any means, if you listen to elk, you don't have to be a good sounding elk caller. I think a guys like I'm um, forget their names, but uh, Corey Jacobson or um, the Elk Nut mm-hmm. got his name, and then the, um yes Paul Medell. I've listened to his podcast and uh, Joel Turner. Like those guys are just like the, their sound is so perfect i'm definitely not one of those guys and it and it's good if you can be that that crisp and and perfect but i think where where i've gener the confidence i've given myself over the years is just what i just said it's i'm a confident L caller i'm confident that it works i don't give up on that process but i so i might start out the same way but i think i finish differently more often than not so but So the whole point of that spiel is I, I definitely utilize elk calls to locate them, especially in September. I mean, that's just how they're communicating. Um, But you know, you're going to know really quickly if, if, if that tactics is going to work or, you know, maybe there's, there's predators in the basin or there's hunters or whatever. And you just, you just have to adapt. So I think that's kind of what Tyler's talking about. If you're going to know pretty quick, if spotting the, Spotting stock is the way to do it, or sitting over water, or whatever. I think that's just really Tyler Nice style. Is to just um, just kind of be adaptable, to whatever situation. But um, I think my I think we'll, we're probably going to start the same. But then, like I was, was get, alluding to, is you know, based on the elk behavior um, in that specific area, for that specific time of year it, it can really, really vary, um, from hunt to hunt day to day, even hmm.
0: any, so that's uh, just kind of, a yeah. Any expansion on that for you, Tyler?
1: No, no, I think that's, yeah, pretty much. I, I you know, I, as I think of Nate, I think that, um, yeah, him doing stuff that, you know, when you talk to her or whatever, like you wouldn't think yeah, I could think of a bully killed. Oh, it was like the second year I was there or something, but I correct me if I'm wrong. Is that your biggest archery bull? Uh, we want to say the state, but yeah, biggest archery bull you killed and you spot and stalked him or you called and you got him to bugle one time and then you stalked him into the thick country. Like that's yeah, all you needed was one.
2: Yeah. Um, it, it wasn't quite my biggest, but it was a really, really good bull. One of my probably top three bulls. And, um, yeah, he, I think bugle once and I, and I kind of sat on, it. it got warm, the thermals changed and I just kind of camped out in that area until the thermals got right, which was all day. And it's hard, that's hard to do, right? Like that's hard to just say, there's an elk up there in that pocket of trees. He hasn't left and I'm just going to waste a whole day laying here waiting for the thermals to change and then to try to go kill him. you know, when they could, move off or wind you or, you know, a number of different reasons, um, for it to not be there. But like Tyler said, it just ended up working out that he was, uh, I got him to crack later that afternoon to a cow call, but he was still as early. It was like September 4th or something. And, um, eventually closed the gap, um, moved in on him and he was in a wallow and kind of snuck in and and shot him. There, so yeah, that's a, that's a good example, Tyler, of just you know having a game plan, but it but it changed. The other thing, kind of goofy about that one was, it sounded like a, I mean, it just sounded like a really really wimpy bull, like kind of what you would think a raghorn or a spike would sound like. He had this really wimpy bugle, and um, so it was, that was another added piece to that. Um, situation where it's like do i really want to kind of stay down here way in this canyon to um to like wait out a spike or raghorn you know so but so you can imagine my surprise when i when i snuck in i was like good lord it's a really really big bull
0: that's cool how do you so like in that instance you got him to fire off. It sounds like morning or mid morning, and had the patience to stay there. And something I think a lot of guys would question in that situation: when that bull gets quiet, is is he still there? You know, like having the patience, like you said, to not only know what type of bull he is, whether he's a raghorn, spike, or a stud, but to really kind of understand: is he even going to be there? Like, is that time being patient well spent? And I feel like so many guys and we have this picture of elk hunting where it's like action, right? Like it's you're calling and elk are calling back and things are happening. And I feel like in elk hunting, especially guys just don't have patience or maybe as much patience as they should. Um, yeah. And So how do you yeah, think through those things?
2: Well, so that particular one, like, again, this one, Tyler has, uh, is tied to pretty well. Cause he, he had the tag, this was his tag and if you know Tyler very well, he's always drawing some awesome tag.
0: <laughs> True story. Yeah, I
2: had, yeah, you know, Mark. True so, story. Uh, anyway, Tyler drew something awesome and he had, you know, this terrible problem of having too many tags in his pocket. So, like last year. um, yeah, so, yeah, exactly. Um, so he, uh, we were, he was nice enough to transfer the tag to me. Idaho allows you to do that. So, um, paid some fees and this and that, and transferred a tag to me. So I had, so the reason I'm telling you that is it was, it was, uh, I don't know, what was it Tyler, like a week or two before the season. And, um, I just, I had zero experience. I was able to call the bio, biologist for that area, basically just kind of pointing on a map and went and tried it. Well, that's so why I'm telling you that is, um, you asked, why did I make that decision? Well, I, I was not getting into elk. Like I hunted pretty hard for a couple of days and that was the first bugle I heard. It was the first bugle I heard and it was the second elk i seen. So I was kind of like, man, I, I don't know. Like I didn't have a whole lot of choices in that particular. It wasn't like, well, I have five bulls to choose from, which one would I, you know, cause in that, if in that situation I can almost guarantee you, I would not have gone after that elk, just because it sounded so small, like just such this weird little squeal. So you can't judge a bull by a bugle and that's a perfect example, but I still think it's natural to, you know, go after the big deep screaming growls, you know? Um, So, but in that particular instance, I didn't have a whole lot of options. So, you know, the lack of elk kind of forced my hand a little bit.
0: Got it. When it comes to calling, not to locate, but especially in archery, kind of to either move in to pull elk in towards you, like more in that mid to close range, you know, you'll you'll hear guys talk about, especially with a caller shooter setup. You know, shooter goes forward, caller's back. Play the arc, play the wind, use cover. Blah 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 blah. When you're solo, you don't have that, right? Like the shooter is the caller. You can't necessarily play an arc unless you're moving. And so do you, do either of you guys use those types of strategies to essentially replicate this two-man setup, but when you're by yourself, meaning are you calling and then rushing forward to change the position from where you called? Um, are you calling and circling around to get the wind in your favor? Um, you know, it's often repeated and it's been my experience that elk are very good at like pinpointing call locations and being able to come to that or focus in on it if they make an approach. And so when you're solo, are you trying to overcome that or um you know kind of play them, right?
1: D all the above. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I would say I don't think I've sat and called in a bowl. Well, I, I called in a my first rag bowl. I just sat and called. But now that was in New Mexico where they're like, you know, they don't come to a call. You know, they come to a call a lot better in New Mexico than they, they do here. They limit their seasons. They don't get pressure like they do up here, you know, on a general tag, blah, blah, blah. On a general tag, I don't think I've called in a bowl where I'm in the same spot. from. Like, I am constantly moving. That is probably one thing. I'm very, like, risk – like, I'm willing to take risk when it comes to that. I, Yeah, I – we'll run out of them uh, you can ask steve i i darn near pushed him over a tree when we had a bull bugling <laughs> like go yeah. so yeah i just i'll i'll get him going and then yeah. I, I just run straight at him like it you know and maybe it's too much sometimes but um that's just i don't know maybe that's my one my one thing if you, you had to say i have the thing i do
0: <laughs> so needless to say you're oh. not concerned with making a little bit of noise
2: absolutely not <laughs> that's pretty amazing how much noise oh. you can get away with elk and and that's where a good i haven't always have a reed in your mouth or something like that and you kind of throw on a cow call here and there when you're making you're stomping in or whatever because tyler's right <clears throat> you can get away with a lot um and i and i probably mirror a lot of what um tyler just said um i mean my my tactics will change slightly with if i have somebody there calling i suppose but more often than not, like my my tactics can be very 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 similar whether I'm by myself or I have a second person, and and I'm probably the same boat with as Tyler. Like I've called an elk, and I think what he means is like, okay, I'm going. I got a bull bugle. This is where I'm gonna call. I'm gonna call this bull from 200 yards over there, and I'm gonna bring him right right in front of me, and I'm gonna stop and I'm gonna do that. And I don't have very many instances that i can talk about that actually happening so i'm 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 right there with tyler as far as like like knifing in just kind of taking little cuts and moving constantly and those elk you know because like you said mark they can pinpoint you to the to a pinhead it's so amazing to me even to this day how well they can pinpoint you so um you know you it's almost like you don't want to give them time to really get their bearings so i'm constantly you know if he's trying to flank me on my wind or whatever i'm making little adjustments or the train's just not right then i'll you know i might back out or circle down but always kind of maybe not keeping them guessing but just making moves that are almost countering his moves in my favor if that makes sense so but on the flip side to that, like, you know, there are times where, you know, you just have to hold your ground and, and the, the, you got to be ready for anything. And I think that's part of being adaptable because you can, you can hear a scream 300 yards away and I've had it. or just, you know, the next thing you know, there's a big rack coming through the trees and you just, you got to be ready. But um, I, I would say my tactics, probably mere Tyler's there as far as just, moving and, and kind of moving and shaking a little bit, you know, Mm.
0: when you say Tyler, you're, you're going at them. I've experienced that too, where you're literally rushing straight at them, but obviously things are coming into play. Like number one, potential wind, number two, potential shooting lanes, um, use of cover, things like that. So just as guys are picturing going towards elk and, you know, maybe how far to move, where to move, like, I'm sure that's so natural to you just from experience on like, you see a spot that that looks good and you go to it, but to kind of help, maybe that's almost subconscious thought process. Like what are those things you're keeping in mind of how much to move, where to move, how to set
1: up things like that? Man. um Good question. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Like you said, so much of that's just kind of doing it enough times or you've, you've screwed up enough times and gone, man, I really shouldn't have done that. And it just kind of takes doing it to learn from it. Um, but yeah, definitely trying to be aware of shooting lanes. And, uh, you know, I think that's like always in your mind, right? When you are doing this, you, you're not hopefully putting yourself in a spot where you're, you know, you got a tree, five yards in front of you. And, you know, that gives you maybe a 10 degree shooting window on either side of you. Um, hopefully you're, you know, if that's one lesson you can learn from a podcast, I would definitely take that away from it is get in front of whatever cover um, is out there and, and, you know, don't put that in front of you. Always be thinking about that because <clears throat> that's going to be the way they come. And then their head's going to be looking right around that brush, you know, 10 yards or whatever, and they're going to be gone. Um, so, yeah, in that regard, just always thinking about shooting lanes. and And when I'm in that close, I guess at that point, like if we're talking, I got a bull and I'm like doing the last, you know, I'm within a hundred yards and I'm going to kill this bull. To me, the wind stuff kind of goes out the window because there isn't really much I can do in that amount of distance to give myself a better shot. The wind's going to be what it's going to be from what, you know, I've set myself up for, you know, my approach <laughs> going in there. So, you know, that regard, I kind of wind goes out the window um, in that whatever, two minutes of mayhem before you. You arrow bull, I think, if you want to call it anything. So just shooting windows, um, trying to keep that opportunity always there. I know that two years ago, the bull I killed, you know, I I was ready to just call it a night. And um, I got this bull bugling. And then, you know, he was just bugling from his bed and and wasn't going to come anywhere near me. But, you know, just because I was like, well, I'm going to try and see what I can do. I was stuck out in the open. Um, another bull fired off and they ended up fighting. Like, so that created my scenario where they were fighting their cows, you know, his cows went off the knife ridge and kind of, you know, went down to the wallow and, and it gave me the opportunity to just cross this like 400 yard opening. And, uh, in that aspect, that bull had fought the other bull off and then was coming down. I started cow calling like a lost cow. And then I was within 80 yards and I was still running. Like I bugled and wanted to get away from that last spot. I bugled and that bull, I was trying to get, you know, I had this thing in my mind. I had to get to this tree up this knife ridge and then I'd have a good shooting lane where really I just had to get away from where I called. And he come right on the other side of this knife ridge where he was seven yards from me. And, um, it's pretty wild, but yeah, I think that was maybe a place where just his adrenaline from fighting that other bull really helped me. Cause you know, he, he gave me a, I missed at seven yards and he gave me a second shot at 25 cause he was just so amp from you know chasing another bull off he couldn't believe there was you know something flinging arrows at him <laughs> but uh I, I definitely took a, a lot more risk than I probably even normally would have in, in that scenario just because yeah there was big there was a fight going on and I just I got right in the middle of it and acted like another bull coming in for round three so cool.
0: so it, we got a lot of questions obviously on what if you kill a bull in your solo? So before we get to um, packing out, let's talk about breaking down an elk solo. Um, One one message we got, which I thought was a super solid point that guys probably overlook because guys get concerned with the pack out and not the work that leads up to that. But this guy wrote in and said, one thing I didn't take into account was the amount of time and energy it would take to quarter and bag an elk by myself when I got one on the ground. The first elk I killed, I had a few guys there to help with quartering, bagging, and packing out the meat. The next elk, I was solo, and it took me nearly three hours to get it all quartered and bagged up by myself. And that's when I realized the real grind began, because it wasn't until I finished taking care of the elk that I realized how much energy I'd expended before I even started packing any of it out. So a super solid point. And you know, again, thinking about the pack out one thing, but it, it is a lot of work, especially solo to even break down an elk. Um, if you guys are solo, is it situational dependent on quartering versus boning out? Do you always do one or the other? What does that look like for you, Nate?
2: Um, yeah, you, you guys are right. That, that that's a daunting process. Um, but so for me, I, I think I'm always concerned about meat quality. I'm always concerned about keeping it as clean as possible and obviously cooling it. As soon as those things hit the ground, man, you got you got a clock on them, especially during archery season. Um, I, I think I probably lean towards quartering first and I just do that because I feel like I can kind of keep it cleaner. Um, and, and that, and then that's gonna, depending on how I'm gonna pack one out, then really depends on what I do next. Now, obviously, that's a little bit situational, depend, depending on where and how elk dies. Um, if he's in a position where I just I don't have anything to tie up a leg or um, super steep hillside and I can't wrestle a quarter around, you know, maybe I'm gonna bone it right on the animal and take little pieces and put it in a bag. But um, I think I think for the most part, I. I tend to, there's always exceptions, but I, I tend to quarter them out break it down in that aspect. And then, um, and then if I need to bone it, I'll bone it. If I need to get it to, you know, I I usually will, um, you know, make sure the, uh, make some nice deep cuts along the bone itself, especially on the hams to kind of get some of that heat out of there. Um, but anyway, that, that's typically how I start, I suppose
0: yeah anything else for you tyler there
2: um
1: yeah i'm right there with them it's definitely a situational dependent thing and um i have played with doing some pulley stuff um that's super handy as you know mark where you killed your bull those things just are bigger there like it's retarded i don't know how to put it um and uh yeah, you know, I could wrestle around the New Mexico bull pretty easy by myself. They just body wise, you know, aren't quite quite as big, I feel like. But um, yeah, some of these bulls were killing the Rocky Mountain West. They have pretty darn big bodies and they, uh, yeah, it's, I think having the pulley systems money, you know, getting the quarters off. And, but then again, like you got to have trees or something there to kind of help you. Mm.
0: You tend to then, carry more rope or anything kind of specifically when solo hunting versus otherwise?
1: Um, it's probably the same just cause once I have things set in my pack, I just kind of leave them.
2: Yeah. I'm a, I I take at least one roll of that 550 cord and I usually, you know, and I don't spare it when I'm, when I'm, uh, when I'm cutting up an elk or breaking it down, especially hanging it. Um, you know, it comes in handy a lot.
0: Yeah. So yeah, that's a, that's a good point there is, let's say you're in a decent position, um, to get the elk quartered and hopefully not on a steep slope and stuck between trees like my last bull was. Um, but so you're able to quarter it fairly easily. Um, how, like even practically hanging it by yourself, have you guys find us found a specific kind of setup or technique Tyler using that pulley, anything else, um, on that? Cause even that alone can be a chore. And obviously we're talking solo. So you're, you're going to need to store the meat for some period um, while you're packing out the rest of it. So any tips or things you've learned to do or not to do on even after it's quartered, but you're kind of staging the meat, if you will.
1: Um, Yeah, that's probably more situational, but going back to the grizzly bear thing and grizzly bear country, like I definitely put way more effort in it. And I think that is also why I'm, okay with having the weight in my pack if having these little pulleys and um a bunch more 550 cord because you know you might be able to throw one up over a limb you know throw throw your 550 cord up over a limb not a quarter <laughs> and <laughs> uh you know say 15 feet over your head and then set up like a little snatch block deal where you can you know try to lift them all up because odds are you're burning up a lot of your 550 cord when you got to go clear you know up and over a tree limb and down and and that stuff. So I, I guess if there, yeah, there's one thing, just a ton of 550 cord and, um, two little pulleys that can
2: lock. I've never used the pulleys and, um, you know, I haven't hunted in grizzly bear country as much as Tyler. So that's a little bit out, not out of the norm, but it's not as common. Um, and, and I don't get too hung up with if, especially if you're not in grizzly bear country or whatever, to really feel the need to hang them up real high in the tree. So, you can get away with a lot, just propping them up on alders or, you know, on a, on, on limbs or whatever, once they're in a bag, just to kind of allow that airflow to get under them. Um, so I don't know. That's, that's a good point about grizzly bear country, but I mean, yeah, that's typically what I tend to do is just just as long as there's good airflow near some like water is most ideal, but, um, yeah, I don't really feel the need to hang them too high.
0: Yeah. So do you, again, all these questions are situational dependent. So I always like, feel like there's this asterisk here, but what do things look like for each of you personally? It's a personal decision on how deep are you willing to go? Like, do you have like a very firm limit on, all right, here's the reality of the terrain I'm in the conditions I'm in, obviously it's going to vary based on temperatures time of year, but like, you know, especially for the guys who are newer, um, maybe they haven't packed out an elk yet and they're potentially going solo. They don't realize what they're up against. Right. So for you guys who have had experience, even then, like what is your limit for essentially how deep you're willing to be when solo hunting elk?
2: So that's a good point. Um, I, I would say, You know we talked about solo versus non-solo and you know you know guys being intimidated or or whatever i mean none of like the soul hunting is so in in my mind there's so many advantages that it completely outweighs any disadvantages but the one part where i'm constantly being mindful of you know my limitations is packing an elk out and i think anybody new is like that is something that you really have to be realistic about your expectations or your, your ability, excuse me, because it, you know, cutting them up is one thing, but getting them out is a completely another thing. So, I mean, it like you said, Mark, it's really hard to give you like a, a hard number on how far I'm willing to go. But all I can tell you is I'm always, always thinking about it. And, and so I, I think I've, I've, evolved a little bit over the years to really have kind of a plan put in place on, um, getting a next step strategy for an elk, you know? So if that means, you know, using livestock or having a buddy on speed dial or calling around for some horse packers ahead of time, like that is really, really money well spent. And if you don't have that, then, um, I mean, you just (laughs) super mindful of that because, um, like I said earlier, you got a clock on them as soon as they hit the ground. And, um, you, you know, I, I, so I, I really hesitate to say a specific distance, but I mean, for me personally, and I, and again, going back to my earlier discussion, when we had our intro there about Tyler, like he's a savage, he's a beast, the guy's in good shape. And, um, so his, his abilities are probably going to, uh, exceed mine to some extent there. So but I would say probably probably in that two mile range. I mean, any more than that, you really need to have kind of like a downhill slope in your favor or, you know, weather conditions that you can tack on a day or so, something like that.
0: All right. Beast mode Bashma, How about for you?
2: Yeah. (laughs) 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 Yeah.
1: Yeah. Ask me 10 years ago and ask me now. There's definitely a difference. Um, (laughs) Hey, uh, I would say, yeah, I mean, so much is train dependent, right? Like, you know, you could the three miles that you know whatever where you killed your bolus last year, Mark, like or more than three miles, but whatever that was, right? Jerry's still out. I said it was two. Um <laughs> where I killed mine? <laughs> yeah, remember two I, from I, where? <laughs> remember, I told I told Steve, I said, I think this that once we get up on this plateau, we got like two miles, and then he mapped it. And, you know oh. he's, like, he's like closer to five yeah so yeah, you know the point of the story is i don't judge distance <laughs> i judge it by time and uh two years ago the bull i killed here in montana took three days to get out so um and
2: <laughs> in, yeah, in that and that tyler not to interrupt you but that was a rifle that was rifle season right that was november yes
1: and that's yeah. a huge yeah, so totally game changer too yeah, yeah. 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 Definitely. A good, good point there to have. Yeah. That was November and it was cold and yeah, much different than September um, bow hunting. So, but I don't know um, if it was like um, country that mildly steep and, you know, n- n- not too bad. I would say three miles, but in most of the time, like I guess in that regard is yeah. Just trying to have a plan. Like, there's so many good packers out there and so many people that, you know, are, are for the value. Like Nate got his bowl packed out. I want to say it was like four or 500 bucks. Like, dude, that is worse. I'd pay
2: that 10 times over. <laughs> in that <laughs> specific instance, like it would, I guarantee it would have spoiled if I had done tried to do it myself. Like it was just hot. It was hot all night. I boned it out and it was kind of a rookie move. I had it all stuffed in these game bags. It couldn't, it didn't really cool as well as it should have it would have spoiled if I didn't have, if I wasn't able to arrange that packer. So anyway, sorry to interrupt there, Tyler.
1: Nope, nope, you're good.
0: Yeah, that's good stuff. I mean, I had that down on the list is, especially guys solo hunting, make sure you investigate what's available there, make good contacts for a packers, know how to contact them reliably, how to communicate where your position is. I mean, that goes things back to things like the end reach, right? Like that's a tool much more than, I'm okay. Or I need help. Like that can be your lifeline to a packer and to getting, you know, getting help when you got meat on the ground. So Letting them know ahead
2: of time, like, Hey, this is, this is the number. If you get a text from this number or whatever, this weird. You know, it's not a spam call. You know what I mean? It's, you know, this is me and blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, that's, that's very helpful.
0: Yeah, for sure. When you guys are packing out solo again, typical asterisk of it depends, but taking trips all the way from elk site to camp or camp to truck I mean um, versus like a leapfrog type strategy if you guys experimented with both of those tend to prefer one or the other again it being terrain and situational dependent
2: Mm.
1: honestly I've mostly just uh, done one trip to the truck and back and done that multiple I haven't done the leapfrog thing yeah
2: i um i've been kind of doing more leapfrog stuff um especially to like one like maybe i'll leapfrog to a point or to like to a spot where like it's just maybe mentally it's a little easier to go the distance like maybe you have kind of that downhill to a trail and then the trail out or something like that um you know i'll kind of leapfrog um in that aspect um I don't know. I, I seem to like it. That works for me. Um, it's, it seems a little less daunting, but um, I, like you said, every every time's different, I suppose.
0: Yeah, I'd advise more of leapfrogging for solo hunters, unless you happen to be Tyler Boshma. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I Tyler, didn't like carry just the whole from a mental it's perspective. No yeah. I mean, from a mental perspective, I think there's benefits to exactly what you said, Nate, of like, all right, let me just get everything to here. Like, that sounds less daunting. I'm not getting everything out, but let me get here. And then once you've gotten there, it's like, okay, now I just got to get here. Whereas like multiple trips in and out can be cumbersome. Um, but Tyler, no, you're just like, put your head down and go type of guy for sure.
2: <laughs> so have Tyler on speed is what we're saying.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
2: well, that's pretty much what I did last
0: year. we worked out great, Tyler. Thanks again. <laughs> uh, anything, anything we haven't covered that stands out, whether it's elk specific or just maybe about, you know, being solo in the backcountry, misconceptions, things guys don't think about or overlook. Um, yeah. Anything come to mind? I mean, we could keep talking all day, but I don't want to keep you guys on the phone forever here.
1: Um, I guess yeah. Going back to the just the boredom or whatever, just like don't let yourself get stagnant because that's where bad thoughts happen. Like, just yeah, find little chores and little things, and you know, I don't know if if you're bored and you know you haven't heard an elk bugle, well, go find one, make it bugle. (laughs) I don't know.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. There's always there's always an elk out there willing to be hunted. Um. I don't know i uh i think as i get older it's a little bit easier to you know you know what you're getting into but for the guys who are starting out um so just don't don't really uh don't be afraid to fail manage your expectations i think that's another one that's just that's just like a life lesson for me is honestly is like don't like be realistic about what you're trying to achieve and um be be okay with failing because you know, Tyler mentioned that in the very beginning, you fail a lot. And I was really fortunate enough to grow up in areas where there was elk hunting an hour away from me. And so I, I failed a lot growing up and it's paying dividends now. It's like, you kind of know what, what to expect, but um, don't overthink it. You know, I mean, it's if if you're really concerned about the solo hunt versus a not solo hunt, it's like, you're almost getting in your head already it's just, it's just elk hunting and, and, uh, um, soak it up and just keep grinding at it. I guess from a
1: planning perspective, if a guy's really like, okay, I'm committing to, you know, I'm going to start solo hunting and I'm going to archery hunt. And this is my, my thing, right. That I'm going to do. And they haven't had a lot of elk experience or whatever. Uh, like my story, like I went from Alaska, didn't, you know, didn't hear a bugle until, You know, I started hunting elk or whatever, and um, it's just putting, trying to put yourself in a place where the densities of elk, there's just, there's more densities, right? Like, you're going to have more opportunities um, versus getting, you know, maybe some of these tags, you know, across the West or whatever look really, really cool. And, you know, they might have high trophy potential or these, you know, trophy potential, but they don't have the sheer numbers of elk. I think for yeah, a new a guy, I, I need to screw up a bunch. I need to have those, you know, those opportunities to learn. Just put yourself out there in those spots where there's the densities are high. I think, you know, from at least from a planning side, mm-hmm. all the other stuff aside, like keep that in the the hopper.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah and where it's legal, like, yeah, don't pass up the opportunities either. Right. So yeah, it'd be a shame. Yeah. All exactly. that.
2: And I'm still that way, honestly, like, um, I, I mean, I, I've been fortunate enough to fill a lot of tags because I, I haven't been picky. Honestly, I would be a terrible trophy hunter. I, I'm stoked to shoot a a four point. I'm stoked to shoot a six point and like, just getting like Tyler saying, getting those opportunities under your belt. Um, you can't get good at something unless you do it, you know, Mm.
0: perfect. Guys, I really appreciate the time. Um, I definitely pulled stuff out of here. I know the listeners did. Um, I'll be sure in the show notes to link to the prior episodes we've done with you guys. Um, I know neither one of you like care too much about social media or anything else like that. But uh, is there anything you want me to share out there for if guys want to go follow along or do whatever?
1: Um, follow Hunt backcountry. <laughs> <laughs> i, I ex- feel like you guys
0: i expected you, crickets on that question so i got what i asked for
1: <laughs> i don't know i i mean y- you guys should, like that's kind of you know with hunting with steve and stuff you, you might just see my ugly mug pop up there or whatever but oh, you'll definitely be so. popping up this year i can tell you that yeah but no elk really so well yeah, yeah the, Well, well you, <laughs> you never
0: know we're we're still <laughs> We're still planning things. We'll see what happens.
1: The jury's still out. I could uh, quit my job and yes. just
0: hunt all season. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't pass. Yeah. So, all right, guys.
1: Much
2: appreciated. Uh, hey, thanks, fellas. Good chatting.
0: Well, that is a wrap on this one, guys. If you want to receive more podcasts as well as articles and other helpful content, consider signing up to become an EXO Insider. Just go to exomountaingear.com/newsletter to do so. And on a weekly basis, we send out new podcast updates, articles, videos, and much more. And finally, if there's anything else we can help with, send that email to podcast at exomountgear.com We'll talk to you soon.